Good morning and welcome to the Ask Weldon Show, episode 164. Today we're going to talk about perfectionism. Perfect perfectionism versus perfectionism done badly. How to criticize your friends when you play with them. What does clean clicking look like? And a bonus question, which I will reveal during the show. Thank you for joining me. This is the Ask Weldon Show. My name is Weldon Green and I'm a sports psychology trainer who works in esport and with professional esport athletes. The questions I get on this show are sent in via anchor.fm slash Weldon Green. You can call in your audio questions there with that app on the phone. Uh, I think you might be able to use the web client now. I'm not so sure about that. You can also use the hashtag AskWeldon on Twitter, or you can jump into my Twitch chat, twitch.tv slash MindGamesWeldon. I'm actually streaming this live right now, and before and after this recorded section of the show, you can get all your questions about life and the philosophies of life answered there in that conversation. So make sure to join us and, and submit your questions for the show. I want to thank everybody who piled in last night. I got numerous questions while I was asleep. My phone was like pinging off the hook. Glad I had sleep mode on. And uh, and now I have some great questions for the show today. So I appreciate those of you who reached out and, and dialed in and sent me your audio questions. I know sometimes it's a little discomforting to kind of like speak out loud and then show up on the show, but I recommend that you write out your question and read it because that will allow you to have a smooth delivery if you like. Or you can record it as many times as you like. You don't have to, you know, it doesn't go with the first go. It's not like a call in where you dial it and then you, and it's a message system, right? You can listen to your question before you submit it. So yeah, the questions that I get on this show, if you're new here, are typically about eSport performance and high performance. They're also about high performance in life. We're talking about studies. We're talking about dancing. We're talking about management. We're talking about business even sometimes. And, uh, and also pretty much anything else under the sun that you think that I might have the expertise that allows me to answer your particular problem. Updates, news and updates. Um, nothing much has happened since yesterday. I made some progress on my finances yesterday. We didn't make progress on the app. Uh, obviously the app for mind games is coming along. Uh, but I didn't get to work on it at all yesterday. I was mostly focused on on work and on finances. And so there's nothing fancy and new that's been happening. It was leg day, but I only got to do two exercises in the gym because I ran out of time. I was late ending the stream and I didn't get to the gym on time. So I'm going to try to repeat leg day. I think, let me see. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to try to repeat leg day today. Yesterday I was doing a lot of mobility stuff. I basically got one core exercise in and I feel like I could work that up and do a serious leg day today um, that would make it painful to even be able to sit down tomorrow on my quadriceps. Sorry, hamstrings. On my hamstrings. Pretty hard to sit on your quadriceps, but on my hamstrings. And so that is the goal. That is the goal for today. Uh, and that's all, the, all that I have with the news update. So why don't we jump into the first question, everybody? Got to put my headphones on. Question number one from Joshua, Joshua, I believe. Hello, Weldon. I also have the other side of the question. How do I criticize people correctly without letting it affect them personally and just letting it affect their play? So how do I tell somebody they must stop and tell them how to do it correctly the next time without them being mad at me afterwards for telling them how to play or something like that? This is more of a question 
directed for the casual environment where I play with friends and not the environment in solo queue because I know that I can't really criticize people in solo queue effectively. All right, Joshua, thank you for the wonderful question. And thanks for giving this two-parter in two different parts. I appreciate it. That means I can... Yesterday, if you want to check out his first question, make sure to check out yesterday's video. Not the one-hour VOD review of the CLG Team Liquid game, but the other, uh, you know, Ask Weldon show from yesterday. Okay, how do you criticize people not in solo queue? So these are criticizing your friends. Okay, so the basic premise of criticism is that it is best when it's delivered as close as possible to the mistake. Uh, it is best when it's delivered randomly, so when, when it's when it's not expected. So if your friends expect you to criticize everything, and if if you make a mistake and they make a mistake and you're always the one to criticize their mistake and they're kind of expecting it and they know what's coming and they already are irritated about it. Not only are you kind of doing it wrong as in for learning purposes. So the brain learns best when it's stimulated randomly in response to a mistake and when it's stimulated um, like as close as possible to that mistake. But also you're probably going to piss them off because they're to the point where they're already expecting you to say something just because they died, not because they did something wrong. When they know, for example, that they've done a number of other things wrong that haven't necessarily been punished or you haven't noticed and you weren't criticizing them for those things. So you got to make sure that you're looking for the perfect learning moments. Okay, you got to pick your learning moments well. And it's a, it's often a good time to pick things which have no necessarily, no not necessarily have a consequence in the game at that moment, right? So mistakes that are made systematically that might otherwise be punished but were not punished at that particular time um, because because it shows that you're not just, for example, criticizing somebody because um, because something bad happened to you, right? That's the important part. Okay, the second kind of important thing to consider aside from the science of when to do criticism and how to do criticism is that you should probably be trying to think of yourself in a servant manner. You should be thinking about in a way like, I want to go into this conversation as criticism and I expect nothing from it for myself. So I need to say, so I want to say the perfect thing that would allow them to modify their behavior over time, whether that's right now or whether that's in a year. And that means that you're trying to consider what it is that that person needs to hear and you are an empty vessel of ego empty a vessel empty of ego okay that you have no selfish desire to say things in a way that will benefit you okay people can smell that from a mile away and it's going to turn on defensive mode right so servant leadership is all about saying the thing the other person needs to hear to accomplish their dreams not saying the things that you want to say to satisfy your emotional state and or your level of frustration in the game and that's, again, why it's important to pick out activities and things to criticize and teach with that you just trying to teach it inherently is a sacrifice of your time and it has no direct benefit to you, right? That it's things that did not necessarily impact your game at all. Okay, so those are the basics. And then from there, you have to deal with people who just don't feel like learning, right? They might not be reflective learners. They might not be learners who learn from criticism. They might be more or less autodidactic, which is they learn like for just from experience and they don't even want to think about it because it's a lot of work for them. So for those people who don't really want to put in the work, who are just putting in the, the fun, then I would say probably either don't bother 
or find a way to work with them on the idea of reflective learning. Try to bring them from a state of just like having fun to pursuing mastery. Um, and for that, it's it's a little bit about like the motivation of why it is that you play the game. So you can talk about things like this over meals. You can talk about how much fun it is for you to pursue, like wake up every single morning with the idea of of desiring to be better by the end of the day than when you when you woke up. Um, you can talk, you can reward the pursuit of mastery um, in your friend group by, by, by complimenting people when they, when they seem to improve, you know, over, over time or over a space. Um, you can, you can make a, like a climate or a culture of motivation around effort, right? Around effort to improve despite failures when, uh, when you are pushing your limits. Because remember, whenever you're pushing your limits, you ought to be failing close to half the time if you're an excellent limit pusher. Uh, and so you need to be able to celebrate that pushing and that failure and those mistakes and praise the appropriate amount of effort and risk-taking that was enabled while still pointing out kind of inattentive, unfocused risk-taking that is not necessary for improving skills, right? And finally... I would just put a little asterisk by everything that I just said and say that the brain is actually quite good at noticing mistakes. That is how you kind of that is how you learn automatically. And so obviously if you if somebody makes a mistake a number of times and doesn't notice it, you need to find a way of pointing that out so that they can be aware of it. And then in the future they'll probably notice it and you don't have to point it out again. But if they do a mistake and and you know that they already know about it, then let their brain do the work. Right, put them in a state where they can be in, in flow state, in a state of joy while pursuing mastery and pushing their limits, and they will strive to not make that mistake again. They don't necessarily need it criticized. All right. That's the answer to that question. Thanks for calling in, Joshua. Let's jump into question number two. Hey, well, then it's Max. I was on the show a couple of days ago. Thanks for the help. Today, my question is, how do I get over my desire to win and replace it with the desire to improve? Thanks. Hello, well done. It's pause. All right. Whoops. Thank you, Max, for the calling in that question. And thanks for jumping on the show previously as well. How do you replace the desire to win with a desire to improve? <coughs> okay. I'm not necessarily sure you want to replace it. I think that you want to supplement it. So if you look at the science of motivation, you'll find a number of different theories. One of the prevalent theories is uh, competitive versus mastery motivation or ego motivation versus um, versus like, I would say, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, self-focused um, improvement motivation. And usually these are treated as two ends of a polar spectrum, right? That you either have a mastery-related climate or a competitive-related climate in a team. But when you test an individual for their um, for their competitive motivation versus mastery motivation, so their mastery their their motivation towards beating other people versus their motivation for beating themselves from from the morning, uh, you will find among high performers that they achieve that they achieve high marks on both scales. So it turns out that having strong motivation for competitive uh, mastery, competitive, sorry, competitive desire and strong motivation from mastery desire. So the, the idea of being better than yourself is good for elite performance. 
You want both. You need both, probably. Because if you look at people who just have high competitive mastery and do not, sorry, high competitive motivation and do not have mastery motivation, you have a recipe for tilt. You have a recipe for people who only care about the outcome, right? Winning the game or losing the game. And if you go the other way and you look at people who have super high mastery motivation but not competitive, you have somebody who's who's not going to give everything that they have to win, who's not aiming for the top. They're just aiming for like improvement. So I would say instead of replacing your desire to win, supplement it with a desire to improve such that you are ultimately aiming to, you know, beat other people at a higher level. You are ultimately aiming to have a chip on your shoulder and show off that you you can crush everybody below you. And in the micro, you're aiming to, you know, defeat your lane opponent and you really want to see them lose as a way of inspiring you to get focused and get gritty. And when you're behind in a game, the reason you're coming back is not because you want to slightly improve, but because you want to obtain victory in this match and rub it in your opponent's faces. But then you need to supplement that all the time. Whenever you find yourself, you know, going off of the deep end of tilt, I would say, or when you end up too far away from your opponent. So if your opponent is way in front of you or way behind you, um, then competitive motivation is is less powerful. So I want you to think of competitive motivation as most useful when your opponent is directly in front of you or directly behind you. If you're running a race, I want you to think about somebody breathing down your neck and you're running the race and the finish line is 50 meters in front of you and you feel that person closing in and you really want to win and so you're pushing to your limit to, to achieve victory over that person. Well, you're literally a foot behind somebody and you're closing in on the, on the end of this race. It's coming in 50 yards and you are inches away from eking past them and taking the victory. That is when you need competitive motivation. So in the game, when you're striving to beat somebody. Mastery motivation works when you are 50 yards from the finish line and the other guy is just about to cross the line. And you're like, well, never going to beat that dude. He is just too fast. Okay, so competitive motivation just dismays you, right? It puts you in a state of despair. And that is when you need mastery motivation to help you power through. And likewise, when you are a lap ahead of your opponent and you're thinking, I'm in the last 50 yards, I could literally walk and win this race. And you're thinking about, did you leave the stove on at home? Um, what color shoes are you going to buy next week? The chick who just texted you, like, like, what did she really mean when she said, can't wait to see you later? Your brain is everywhere except the actual race because it's irrelevant to you uh, if you're focusing or not since you're going to win anyway. So you need that mastery motivation to to be the kind of person who will be striving their utmost the last 50 yards with zero opponents behind you because you're shadow boxing against yourself. You're shadow boxing against the potential that you have within you to perform better. Okay? So supplementation, not replacement. Do not replace the desire to win ever. It is the thing that is so fundamental to human nature um, that it is a part of our motivational fabric. Okay? The, the important thing is to do it correctly um, rather than to, than to carve it out and replace it with a different style of motivation. All right. That's the answer to that question. Thank you for calling it in. And uh, and really good chance to talk about the nuance of that uh, of that mindset. All right. Question number three. Boy, we are powering sh through the show today, guys. It's Danny Nogain. I wanted to... Hello, well done. It's Danny Nogain. 
I wanted to ask you something about LSS stream that happened yesterday. LS. So what happened is that he was coaching someone who was playing a 200 ping and that person was playing Cassiopeia. The thing is that when LS was watching the VODs and the actual game, he said that every click was clean and it had purpose behind him. So I didn't really notice what was the big difference between his clicks and another person's clicks. So if you could ex explain that of what does this purpose behind every click mean, it would be awesome. Thanks. All right. A question from LS's, uh, basically about LS, LS's comment of clean clicks that look like they have purpose behind every single action. So obviously this would be a better question for LS than for me. I'm not exactly sure what he meant, uh, but I do sense the idea behind this comment. Um, I know when I'm looking at somebody who's playing with, uh, with zeroed in focus where there is not a wasted movement. And you know too, it's very easy to see this in FPSs. CSGO is the best example where people um, who are running from one side of the map to the other will obtain every single angle at the perfect amount from the start of the map until the finish so that they are, are at every corner first, where they have, um, you know, very, very laid out trajectories for their uh, for their accessories, you know, for throwing the grenades around the map. And they have perfect lines and they know exactly where they want to stand and there's very little wasted movement. And when you watch somebody streaming, you know, at a lower level of play versus a pro, you see that every, that there's just so little wasted movement in, in their, in their actions, you know, from aiming all the way to, uh, all the way to, to accessory throws. Now in League of Legends, in PUBG, by the way, you can see you can see this in looting games, in things like World of Warcraft. Actually, you when you're raiding, you can see people who are who are FPS players, you know, who are aiming for perfectionism, you know, and whose movements are essentially absolutely minimal to move themselves around versus when they're you know when they're casting spells. So if you're looking at World of Warcraft, um, you know, mages or people who are doing maximum DPS, you know, they're gonna be they're gonna be standing like inches away from a danger zone. Uh, in order to maximize their potential damage in the fight and maximize their potential champion and to minimize all movement, right? And then you'll see the little guy like hopping around and just like, you know, he'll be in a fire or something and he'll hop three times out till he's somewhere else and then he'll just randomly start shooting again. So there's a difference in mindset towards that. You can see this in, in um, looting games like uh, Battle Royale games where people, when they're, when they're very, very precise, you know, they're taking perfect lines in and out of buildings. When they're looting somebody, they're they're approaching to the very, very edge of where they can actually activate the the loot menu and then immediately moving on, right? So they're not just like kind of walking over and standing over the body, checking to see that they're there, kind of like going down, pushing the button. You know, they, everything is very precise. Um, you know, they don't walk around a doorway to look around the doorway. They peek their head around the doorway, and when they push the peek button, their sights line up perfectly with where they're aiming already. Okay, they know they can know since they can no scope everything with a lean. They know exactly where to position their body so that everything is precise. All right, now in League of Legends, in in MOBAs, there's a lot of clicking, just like in StarCraft, right? Where there's a lot of spam clicking. However, in MOBAs, it's not necessary as it is in StarCraft. 
you don't necessarily need to kind of like keep the engines juiced for those high intensity moments. And rather, it is better in League of Legends to make sure that every single click is accurate and that it is a good decision, right? So if you are juking back and forth in lane, um, are you just randomly walking around in circles or are you intentionally keeping, you know, a minion between you and your opponent who has a skill shot active? Um, are you are you purposely going up beside the minions when you know your your opponent has you know a skill shot ready and ha they have a choice between using it on the on the minion or using it on you and you are baiting it out so that you can get the cooldown so that you can start trading aggressively you know your position determines your mindset towards your position uh, or your mindlessness towards your position determines a lot of what your clicks look like in just your character movement and then and then you can look at uh, things like auto attacks, right? So you, there's a big difference. And I noticed this myself when I was ranking up between what I used to do, which was I would just like kind of randomly click on the ground in an, in an automatic attacking way in order to CS. So I'd position my character. So I was closest to the, the minion that I wanted to hit last hit. And then when it got into last hittable range, I would, I would attack move on the, on the area of the ground. And then my champion would automatically attack that minion as closest. And then I realized that the pros are clicking on every single thing that they want to attack in a fight. In, the, in, a, in a fight, in a team fight, they're clicking on exactly the champion that they want to hit no matter what. They're never attack moving. Um, okay, this, this is not never, right? I've seen attack moving at the pro level. But um, when, they're, when they're in lane, they're clicking on exactly the minion they want to hit exactly when they want to hit it, right? Um, and I realized that there's a level of precision there that I was not aspiring for. And so I changed my entire philosophy towards click accuracy and click frequency to make it so that every single click had intention behind it and was as accurate as possible, um, including things about positioning. Now, obviously, I can't claim to have a master or challenger tier positioning since uh, the highest rank I ever achieved was diamond. But I do know that my positioning decisions determined a lot of what my mouse looks like uh, at different levels. You know, I can see a gold player walking around in a lane and I can see that they're just spam clicking left and right and their mouse is hovering randomly in the incorrect spot, right? So there's this element to pre precision that involves preparing the mouse where it is you want it to be already rather than just leaving it hanging in space waiting for your next action. But you're already, you already have it where you want it to be. So I think that there's, there's a certain cleanliness that you can see in World of Warcraft and in Starcraft and in first person shooters and in Republic, you know, in, uh, in Battle Royale games. And that is easily communicated also in League of Legends. If you have a critical eye, you can see it. Probably what you should do to develop this eye yourself is watch pros, um, turn off the music, turn off the sound, watch their mouse on stream and then go watch a gold five streamer and watch their mouse on screen. And you can really easily see the level of precision, accuracy and decision-making that goes into the location of the mouse at all times. Stop watching the game completely. Uh, what is Daniel? Sorry. Stop watching the game completely Daniel and watch only mouse, only the mouse cursor on stream a pro and then go and watch a like a low quality player i don't mean a low quality person i mean a low quality player uh and compare the two and you will start to see the precision level difference between the movement of each okay let's do it last question of the show but before i jump into that i wanted to promote the mac program to you guys this is my program this is an ad right but it's an ad for me 
instead of having a sponsor, I have my own product. Instead of selling somebody else's product, I decided to make a training program for the masses. And I didn't decide this just on a whim uh, because I wanted money, although I do aspire to be an entrepreneur and have my own business. I decided this in 2013 when I saw where esports was going. And I said, esports is going to become a global amateur playing field where we inherently hate the idea of the global ladder. We despise the idea of going into this online faceless void and being ranked against a bunch of people that we will never see again. What is fun for us as competitors, who are never going to go pro, mind you, is that we can go on Saturday and lose to Johnny and try hard all week to improve and then go the next weekend with our team and beat Johnny and feel that tangible improvement and the mastery that we achieved out of that grind and the grit to train ourselves in a game. And this is amateur sport. This is why we do sport. It's the reason that people join you know, kids' football teams and kids' soccer teams and frisbee teams in college. We do it for the sake of competition and for the sake of feeling ourselves improving by throwing ourselves at a task with effort. Okay. And from this, we develop all these transferable skills. And in sport, some of those happen automatically, like health and fitness, right? But a bunch happen through intention, through intentionality and through the competitive environment. Those are social and emotional skills and transferable skills, transferable life skills that we obtain by throwing ourselves at a project and by teaching ourselves to learn and by honing our focus and our intent and our discipline towards an outcome, towards success. And that is achievable in eSport as equally as well as in traditional sport, okay? You don't get the free added health benefits of traditional sport unless you approach eSport with a, with a fitness-focused mindset, as I do and as I try to train people to. But at the very least, you can train discipline and social-emotional learning and skills that you will use in many areas of your life while you're still aspiring to become good at a video game because you're approaching it from a purely competitive manner and you're trying to get yourself on a stage locally, whether it's a LAN, whether it's a local team, whether it's a, even a ladder team where you can, you know, or a, or a, or a university team um, where you have infrequent competitions, infrequent live competitions, but the possibility is there, okay? Anytime you can get yourself into that competitive environment, you can find this juice, this motivational sauce that will inspire you to improve yourself. The Mac program was my... Starting answer to that, which is like, how is it that you take sitting in your basement playing video games and turn it into a productive endeavor for your soul and your mind, even if you never make it to the pro level? Okay. And the answer is you do it with a discipline that carries over into other things of your life. So instead of saying like, I don't want to do the dishes because I want to play this video game. You say, I'm going to do the dishes to accomplish that because it's the right thing to do. And I do it with discipline and I finish it swiftly so that I can go back to my training. That kind of like power where you have the ability to <clears throat> segment your life into different buckets and throw yourself into something else as an aspirational way to tackle what you desire to do later, that you're putting off that focus, okay? There are a number of different pros who have who've gotten to a high level and go, gone pro this way. And I think that, you know, I've told the story often of Biofrost and Mike Young, how I believe that they represent a new generation of pros who go pro off of fewer gaming hours than ever before. And I don't mean like few gaming hours in relation to you. Probably they played more than you play. Maybe not. Um, but definitely in relation to people like Dardock, you know, who are spamming 16-hour days. We have Biofrost, 
who maintained, who went to college and was maintaining his grades and his social circles and was still getting challenger rank, you know, in his, in his games. And we have Mike Young, you know, who, who was applying to colleges, right? Um, he said when he was, he said this in an interview that he wasn't actually, uh, when he was back on, was it Phoenix one? He was, he was thinking of going pro that it was kind of like a shock to him because he was actually thinking of going to university, right? So he clearly had the grades, you know, and he was doing his other tasks and he probably had a social circle as well. And, and he probably trained fewer hours than most people uh, below him trained, but he did it with more intense focus and more intense learning capabilities. Because when you, when you actually hone the time that you have instead of spam it, when you, when you refine when you already have a number of hours, like let's say five, four plus hours a day that you're training and you refine the time that you're playing with this kind of like mindset toward uh, toward high performance and mastery, you improve not only your own play and your own learning, but all other areas of your life that you are using to power, you're using the esports to power, okay? I'm going to be a better student because I'm aspiring to, to do this thing in eSport. I'm going to be a better boyfriend or girlfriend because I'm aspiring to do this thing in eSport, right? Instead of um, this other thing is going to distract me from what I'm doing in eSport. So that is the goal of the MAC program, is to, is to essentially find a way to allow people on an individual level to do this because that is what I do with pros and is what I do with amateurs that I coach. But the problem is I cannot coach amateurs anymore, right? I can't coach everybody in the world. And so I try to create this program that would do it for me. It's basically 50 videos online and you log in and you get access to them after you pay. Um, because payment is an, is an important part of like the psychology of attrition, right? And up to now the program has been, the purpose of the payment in the program has been to give people that added, you know, level of commitment that's going to change in a few months when I release version four of this program, which is going to be an app. Um, by the way, if you if you purchase it now, don't worry. You're going to be grandfathered into the app automatically. You never have to pay again. It's a it's a one time payment for a lifetime access. No matter how many upgrades I ever make, right now that's going to change because the app needs its own pricing structure. Apps need maintenance. You know they need they need work. They need design. They need constant kind of like programming, which I have to purchase. And so obviously they need a more sustainable kind of kind of model than than my previous one, which is just like to design it for the purposes of of purchasing, so that people can throw themselves into it. But anyway, it is what it is. This is the version three of the Mac program. It's fifty videos online. The aspiration of these is to train you to essentially um, learn how to use whatever thing you're pursuing at a high level. And I don't mean, sorry, not at a high level, whatever you are pursuing for the purposes of mastery, whatever you are motivated by. Of course, I want to change the world of eSport with this program. But if you want to be a better manager or you want to be a better student or you want to be a better um, boyfriend or girlfriend or you want to be a better parent, the same thing applies in terms of the MAC fundamentals and MAC, by the way, stands for Mindfulness, Acceptance, Commitment. If you can't read the screen right now, those of you who are listening on audio only. But but the but the basic idea is that whatever we aspire to do can be a battery or a fuel or a power source for throwing ourselves into the tackling these skills, which we can use to develop other, um, which we can use in other areas of our life. All right, that's that's enough of that. I could go on for ages about my my dreams and my ambitions with with esport in the world and amateur esport and high performance, but I'm going to end that here and we're going to dive into the last question, you guys. 
Oh, yeah. Use the code AskWeldon to get a $5 discount on the Mac program. Go to mindgames.gg slash MAC and check it out right now. It is risk-free, 100% guarantee, which means that it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. I'm not guaranteeing that like some sort of diet pill. You're going to lose 50 pounds, right? What I'm saying is that if you don't like it, you can just hit the refund button and you get your money back. I don't necessarily need your money. Uh, you know, on a micro scale, obviously on a macro scale, it is the payments that you guys are making for this macro room are funding the development of the app. We just this weekend crested the amount we needed to fund the development this week. We even crested it enough that I could buy a designer um, who is going to do some designs for the app so that we have like a, a good, you know, visual appearance for it. So thank you for that. Everybody who purchased over the weekend, appreciate it. Um, but yeah, we're, we're now on our goal for next week. We're trying to raise enough money to pay for the developer for next week as well. Um, so yeah, on a macro scale, of course, your money is being helpful in developing the future of mind games on a micro scale. Like if you don't like the program, then you should just hit the refund button or message me or email me or whatever. And like, I, I'm not interested in, in keeping keeping what is yours if the experience is not what you desired. All right, last question, everybody. Hi, Weldon. In League of Legends, I would consider myself a perfectionist. So, obviously, when I win, uh, I'm very happy. But when I lose, I become very tilted. And sometimes that can spiral into... Uh, many losses. So what are some things I could do to um, become more okay with losing and uh, stop the tilt? Thank you. Hi, Will. All right. I believe this is Patrick. Let me double check here. Yes, Patrick. First of all, Thank you for asking me one of the ultimate questions. I have a few questions on the show which are ultimate questions, which is they allow me to dictate to you the thesis of my brand. I had one from Elite Support Carry a couple a couple days ago, I think last week on stream. It wasn't even on YouTube, you guys. You missed it if you weren't on the stream. Twitch.tv slash MindGamesWeldon. Make sure you check it out. I ranted for 10 minutes on this topic, and we had we had a shift. I mean, we had a religious shift in the chat. I mean, we had people like praising hallelujah. People were dancing in the streets. We changed lives. Um, we ended up by celebrating by making a code, uh, for, for, um, anyway, anyway, if you missed it, you missed it. All right. My point is you should come to Twitch because you, you have, you amplify your opportunity for catching questions like this. This is the idea, the ideal behind perfectionism. Okay. So perfectionism, uh, is not inherently bad. All right. As a perfectionist, how do I become okay with losing and stop the tilt? The problem is when you do perfectionism wrong. So there is there is such a thing as perfectionism done incorrectly, and then there's perfectionism done perfectly. And what we aspire to do in high performance, the, the mechanism through which elite performance molds and shapes your life as a person is through the pursuit of mastery of a craft. So the pursuit of perfection, right? And and of course, people who are driven to that level are often perfectionistic. But there's a flaw in perfectionism. It's a double-edged sword which can destroy you at the highest and the lowest levels if you are not aspiring to do perfectionism perfectly. And and the 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 crazy 
um, catch-22 of aspiring to do perfectionism in a perfect way is that you actually can't be a perfectionist to do it. Like, you can't tackle the game and look to the world as if you were a perfectionist. Even though your motivations and the things that you were telling yourself and the self-talk that you have are pushing you to that way. Like, you have to approach failure. You have to you have to constantly, repeatedly throw yourself against the brick wall and fall down, right? In your, in your aspiration to have the perfect leap where you grab the lip of that wall and hoist yourself over. Um, but for those perfectionists who are doing it incorrectly, who are standing at the, at the foot of the wall and staring up and just visualizing over and over again and then making that one attempt and then failing in front of a lot of people and then criticizing themselves and then looking over and over again at the tape and the replay of their mistake constantly and just berating themselves and feeling horrible about their life, that is perfectionism gone awry. That is the normal human reaction to perfectionism. Whereas when you see somebody doing perfectionism perfectly, you don't even notice they're a perfectionist because they are throwing themselves repeatedly against the wall. They are, they are completely oblivious to all audience and crowds. They are in the zone of their own pursuit of mastery. And when they achieve it, they're, they're kind of like, they're almost already looking at the next thing, right? They surface the wall and they're gazing at the next wall beyond it. They don't even seem to celebrate because for them, it was the actual path of grabbing onto the lip of that wall. It was the 50 jumps ahead of time where they smashed into the blocks and didn't quite make it. That was the point of what they were doing. It wasn't to get to the top of the wall. And so when you see that action you have to realize that within that person, perfectionism is alive and well. It's not that they're accepting the imperfect state, imperfect state and that they're able to you know, ignore the audience. It's that they're using the fuel of the audience as a way to inspire themselves to be greater than they are, and they're not letting it inhibit them and hold them back, right? So how do you be okay with losing and stopping the tilt as a perfectionist? You have to use your perfectionism as a fuel source, to inspire you to actually push your limits and make the mistake and lose the game. That is the purpose of your journey, of your path. And tilting is just, I mean, completely and utterly useless if you want to improve off of the mistakes that you're making. I mean, first of all, tilting is a choice. Always, it's a choice. Whether you like to hear that or not, I will tell you again and again and again, tilting is a choice. You're going to have strong emotions. The one thing that you can control in your life is your behavior, is your actions, is your discipline. It is the thing you cannot control your thoughts and you cannot control your emotions, okay? The thing that you control is your reaction to them. And unfortunately for you, it is controllable. Like no matter how uprighteous or abridged you feel internally, you can choose what you say and what you do. And you can choose where your focus is as well. Although that requires a certain level of training to do with the highest levels of distraction. So you get really distracted. And if you really can't control your focus, you need to train your focus so that you can actually control it. It's more like a muscle than these other things. Although emotional resilience also feels like a muscle because the more that you do it, the better you get at it in a way. So you have to be okay with losing because otherwise you're not going to approach really high level play or really high level craft of anything. If you're pushing your limits, if you're if you're taking the shortest path between two lines, between two dots, it's a straight line, and you want that shortest path to the top, it's 
at the edge of your ability is where that path is. And the at the edge of your ability, if you're straddling the line of what you are capable of, half the time your foot is going to be in failure and half the time it's going to be in success. Okay? One thing I noticed as I started dealing with pro athletes, and this is a little aside to kind of highlight this concept. I noticed that a lot of people go through life feeling like in comfort. Okay. You go through, you have, you have school, you have friends, you have, um, you know, you go to work, you go to your family life. Everything is pretty much low emotion. A professional athlete in League of Legends goes through more stress in a week, more cycles of life and stress in a week than most normal average people go through in a year. Okay. And people wonder why it is that elite athletes come out of the end of their careers with this insane set of mental faculties and capabilities that allow them to be very successful in the rest of their life. The reason is because they are dealing with and coping with on an, on an average week, the kinds of stressors and anxieties that most people face within a year of their life, that most people spend all of their time avoiding and trying to balance out. Whereas pro athletes and people who pursue craft perfectionistically at the highest level possible are aware that anxiety and stress is the forging and refining fire of their, of their um, life, the way that they pr- pursue everything, whether it's like going home and cooking a sandwich afterwards and like trying to do it better you know, or whether it's like taking that same skill that you're honing in on the golf course in a perfectionistic way, and you're trying to then apply those skills to yourself in the gym, even though you're slightly overweight, or as a parent, even though you're not a very good parent yet. So it is it is the place where you can winnow your mindset and your spirit and your habits to a to a very very refined and like careful. Uh, careful degree and that and and through the act of doing that you are learning something about yourself and about life that you can apply everywhere and so when i see when i see the avoidance that most people have to these kinds of failures i realize the power that just even you pursuing anything at all at an elite level could give in terms of like your adaptation to life in general If you are able to say, like, I am not going to be the kind of person who's going to spend my life avoiding stress and anxiety and and perfectionism, and instead I'm going to try to aspire to do it perfectly, which means I'm going to allow the stress to come. I'm going to allow the perfectionist tendencies to, like, infest my mind, but I'm going to cope with it and deal with it, and I'm going to control my behavior and discipline myself, and and I'm not going to just sit there for 12 hours, you know, totally inundated with the game, but I'm going to spend a very regulated four hours at it, and then I'm going to accomplish the other things that I want to do in my life also that I'm doing for other people. Because doing that actually hones and refines my approach toward the video game that you're really starting to do perfectionism you know, with a purpose behind it. And when you have that purpose, you can use the emotions that come from being in such a mental state, you can use them as a tool. You can use them as something that drives you to to show off to yourself your capability of controlling your own reactions to your emotions, as opposed to just flailing around helplessly in the face of such a strong onslaught of emotions and then allowing them to drive you to lash out at people and to lash out at yourself as well.
All right, you guys. Um, there's an infinite amount of stuff to cover with this question because it hits at the heart of everything related to high performance in life. Okay. As a perfectionist, how do you become okay with losing and stop the tilt? This is a lifelong pursuit. Okay. First of all, I believe that, you know, being a perfectionist is a lifelong pursuit. You're trying to achieve nirvana. You're trying to become Buddha. You're trying to aim for perfection. Okay. And being okay with failure and controlling your emotions is literally life. Like the entire rest of your life, you will be striving to aim for the limits of your ability, be okay with the failure, and struggle to contain the emotional response with discipline in your behavior. If you could answer this question, you know, you could you could write a book and, and call yourself Jesus. So I would say that the answer to your question, Patrick, is that you should be aspiring to answer this question every day. And you should try to do it in a way that, that approaches what you aspire to be. Find an idol and move towards them. Okay? And there's a whole bunch of tools to do that. And, and I go through all of them every single day on this channel in every single other question. So please continue to listen and, and continue your aspiration. And thank you so much for such a hard-hitting, fundamental question, which is basically a thesis statement for what it is that we are doing here in Mind Games. All right, guys, that's the show for the day. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate the attention that you give, and I appreciate the fact that you let me rant about this stuff uh, and, that, and that you let it inspire you and dig into your life and, and help you change your behavior for the better and that we're all on this journey together. And uh, I cannot wait to see you tomorrow in Twitch chat when the show goes live at 6.30 p.m. L.A. time. Check out the Mac program. The podcast you just heard was recorded with Anchor. If you want to make your own, download the Android or iOS app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast. That's anchor.fm slash podcast.